Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as Dave said earlier, talking about balance, the balance of a godly life. And sometimes we wonder what a godly life looks like. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Sometimes we think of a godly life as someone who's very religious, goes to church a lot and those kinds of things. And then sometimes that doesn't work. We know people that are very religious and go to church a lot and they don't seem very godly. We're going to talk about that today and how balance can help with this. Philippians chapter 3. So hold your Bibles open. There we'll be looking at it in just a little bit. As always, we begin with a time of prayer. A time where we just open our hearts to God. And prayer is a gift where God says, I will listen to you. So you can open your heart to him. So I'm going to give you a few moments where you're seated to pray. Pray about whatever's on your heart and I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you as we have before for your blessings to us in this life. We live in the greatest place. We eat every day. We are secure and safe. We are free. We are blessed. Thank you, Father. In addition, you've given us this life in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, indwelling spirit, a guiding word, hope for the future. Thank you, Father, you've provided all of our needs. Help us, Father, to be satisfied with what you've given us, to resist the temptation to want more and more, to allow ourselves to become dissatisfied with what you've given us. Father, we ask for mercy. We know that even at our best, we sin. So, we start today by confessing our sin to you. Forgive us, Father, for our lust, for things, possessions, and power, and all those things. Forgive us for errant words and thoughts, for lack of activity and apathy, and for the hate that's in our hearts. We confess these and other things as sin. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We recognize, Father, that you are pure and only you can give that forgiveness. Thank you. Lord, in this great nation of ours, there is unrest on all issues. An election coming up and all that stuff. Help us. We pray for wisdom for those that will run for office and be elected leaders. We pray for guidance for them regardless of their affiliations. Help them to understand the truth and seek truth. Help them to make decisions that will benefit the most people and honor your teachings. We pray, Father, for our first responders, our soldiers, policemen, those in the medical professions, others. For those that serve us, we thank you. 
We ask you would protect them, give them strength and endurance and comfort. For those that have lost loved ones in conflict, we ask for comfort for their families. We pray for peace in this land and the other lands. We pray for the situation in Ukraine that you could calm that mess. We also know in Syria and Iraq and Iran and Israel, Palestine. Work as only you can, Father. Use your best people. Use the situations at hand to help people realize that they must come together and work together. We have problems in this nation. Help us, Father. As always, again, Father, we thank you for all good things. Teach us from your word. Help us to learn to live a life that honors Christ in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes people go too far in their pursuit of faith. We always think of religious fanatics and things like that. My brother is a deacon of a small church in the Ozarks. And several years ago, it's been 10 or 12 years ago, he called and, and didn't know what to do. They were confronted with the situation in their church. And they were just really confused. They were good people doing their best. Small church, and the church was in hard times, and they'd had a big drive in the church during Christmas time for special offerings and missions and gifts towards Annie, Annie Armstrong, Easter offering and Lottie Moon offering and all those kinds of things. You remember some of those things, and, and they were just collecting special offerings during the Christmas season. And what had happened was, and it really upset so many people, there was a family that was in the church, and they'd been in the church for some time, and it was just a family where a woman and her children were alone, and they really didn't have much income, and they were just struggling to get by, and the church had helped them quite a bit. And they were good people, nothing critical about anything, and the woman wanted to do the right thing. She was involved in the church and by all accounts was a good woman and all those kinds of things. Prayed, was Christian, was trying to do the right thing by her kids. And in that church, when people gave special offerings, sometimes they would get up during the invitation and explain what they gave and why. And so people would get up and say, well, I just gave $100 for Christmas offering or something like that. And it was a wonderful thing. And, and you know, just a strange thing as some churches do. So anyway, people have been doing this all through the Christmas season, and this woman got up and came forward during the invitation, and they didn't know what was going to happen because they knew she couldn't give much, and she got up there and tearfully remarked, God has been so joyful with me and so generous, I've decided to give everything I have to the gift for the church. And then she listed an amount. My brother... A deacon had been part of the group that had given that woman and family church funds to pay their bills. She gave everything, every penny she had. She explained that she knew that her children would not get Christmas gifts that year, but it was worth it for Jesus. She also explained, and it was a strange thing, but she was so emotional, so wrapped up in the moment, that she also didn't know how she would pay her bills or feed her kids or do all those things. That, and everybody was just aghast because what in the world was this crazy woman doing? Because that was their understanding. But they knew better. She just got caught up in the moment, didn't she? 
So I talked to my brother the quiet of all about it. He said, I don't really know what to do. So I said, well, you know, what you might want to do. And then I gave him some options and things like that. And so we talked and things like that. And so a couple of weeks later, uh, he gave me a call back and told me what they had done. What they had done, the deacons had gotten together and talked about the situation as deacons do. And you know how things work in a church. We, we try to do the right thing. We stumble through. And then ultimately what the men decided to do was get a hold of the couple of women in the church and let them straighten it out. And so what two of the wiser women in the church did, they went and visited this woman. And they knew all the concerns. And they were savvy women. And they loved this woman and those kinds of things. And they suggested that maybe she got caught up in the moment. And they gave the gift back to her. And in addition, they gave her enough to buy her kids a gracious Christmas gift. And they prayed with her and they convinced her that it was obvious that she meant well and wanted to do the right thing by her family and by God. And this was just one of those things that they had to work out. And everything worked out for the good. The woman stayed in the church. No one gossiped about her as the crazy lady or anything like that. But it was obvious what had happened. She had gotten so worked up with religious zeal and fervor and got caught up in the moment and she went too far. Sometimes people do that, don't they? Sometimes people go too far in faith because, well, there are a variety of reasons. Sometimes they don't know what else to do. Sometimes they get caught up in the moment. Preachers can be very effective, and you know that. Videos and songs make you cry, and, and when you cry, all bets are off, and all those kinds of things, right? Preachers know that. Fundraisers know that. People who are leading organizations know that. If they can get you to cry, you get caught up in emotion, and do things you might not normally do. And my brother acknowledged that maybe they had done that in that church. Went just a little too far. They all meant well. But they went too far. They learned from it and, and changed some things. True story. Can't make it up. What we want to do today is talk about how to prevent going too far in faith. Now some people say, well, wait a minute here. How can you go too far following Jesus? After all, didn't Jesus die for us on a cross? Yes, he did. He went way too far, which was exactly God's plan for him in that moment. There may be times... When going too far is exactly what God wants. But for the most part, God wants us to come to a place where we make good decisions, where we're absolutely committed to Jesus, and we use a sense of self-control and balance to do the right thing. You can see on screen that God calls us to be absolutely devoted to Jesus. Now, like I've already said, Jesus was absolutely devoted to us. Jesus went too far and it got him killed, which was exactly what God wanted. Sometimes, sometimes we need to go far. When a man marries a woman, it's understood that he will be with her and her alone till death do us part. When Patrick Mahomes signed for the Chiefs, didn't he agree to play only for the Chiefs? Well, of course he did. When a man marries a woman, when an athlete signs with a team, when a soldier enlists, all these people are asked, and it is understood that they make a, a strong, overwhelming devotion that will change their life to this organization and the cause. So when we talk about 
making big commitments to organizations and causes, it really isn't something out of the ordinary, is it? If you've ever gotten married, you've made a commitment like that. If you've ever signed the mortgage on a house, you've made a commitment like that. No matter what, you're going to do this, even extreme. To pay your bills, you make a commitment to do without McDonald's or whatever. To live by your word and live by your commitments. So today we're going to talk about how we can live out our commitments as we follow God. And we'll do so beginning by reading a passage in Philippians chapter 3. And this is a passage where Paul talks about his own commitments and what he did and how. So follow along with me if you would in Philippians chapter 3. I'll read verses 7 through 11. Talking about his life story. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ... More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul giving a defense of his actions, he said, listen, I made a commitment. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what, and I may lose everything. And you remember Paul's story, and he did lose everything. You may not remember this from your Sunday school lessons, but Paul had been a Pharisee, and there was the understanding that Pharisees were strong Jews. They could be vocational. They could be lawyers or educated or workers. Didn't seem to matter. Strong Jews, versed in the word, always married. There were no single Pharisees. That was the understanding. Paul lost his family when he followed Jesus. When he received Christ as Savior, his Jewish family left him. He lost that. When he received Jesus as Savior, he almost lost his possessions because he was a Jewish tent maker. And no one wanted to do business with him. And only later on was he able to do some work and make some income. Had to rely on church offerings and things like that. So when he says he lost everything, he literally lost almost everything. Lost his health. Over the years, he was beaten and whipped. Those kinds of things. Historians say that the rumors were when by the time Paul died, he, his health was so poor, probably blinded, probably couldn't stand up straight because the muscles in his back had been destroyed by the whippings he had received. Lost everything for the cause of Christ. He went too far and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with sometimes some people going so far as to lose everything. It's not wrong but what you want to do is make sure it's the right thing for you. So today we're going to talk about this idea of balance. How you can be absolutely devoted to God and give great sacrifices. But sometimes you don't have to do everything you've ever heard about. The fact that somebody else does something doesn't mean God expects you to. The fact that somebody else gives X doesn't mean God expects you to do X, whatever that is. He calls you to give the gift that you can. Sometimes 
the gifts that God calls you to give, be it time or impact or whatever, or finances, is extreme. Sometimes God may lead you to pull back just a little bit, and that's okay. You do not always have to do the extreme in every action. It's up to you. Jesus was the model on screen. Read this with me if you would. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Taking up his cross meant die. You see, Jesus led the way with teaching people sometimes you've got to give the extreme gift. And of course, the church is literally filled with stories of people who have, gave, have given extreme gifts, finances, their lives, whatever. And God has used those things and blessed us and blessed the church and, and grown the church. And like I said, that's a calling. Some people are called to give everything, to make those extreme sacrifices. But it's not always that way. What Jesus wants us to do is have this idea that following him becomes a driving force in your lives where everything you do is gauged by whether or not you're following Jesus or not. And this is where you have to start thinking. And sometimes we don't do this. Sometimes we don't think very well. Sometimes we feel really well. And we cry. We hear a story. We watch a video. And we, we cry. And we, and we feel so powerfully. And sometimes we act. And then later on we regret what we've done. Because well I, I wasn't really thinking very clear. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to think through our commitments. And if you choose to make an extreme commitment. And that's your choice. So be it. Live with that. Sometimes though. God may not be leading you to do those things. So on screen are a couple of things we can do to guide us in terms of absolute devotion to Jesus. So let's imagine that you are Christian, you're following Jesus, and of course you are, and you've decided you want to be that Christian that follows Jesus no matter what. So here's one thing you need to start doing. Test your actions and your words and reactions against biblical teaching. How you feel is not necessarily the guide for your life. Nothing wrong with emotions, but you and I both know we've all been manipulated by a speaker or a song or a video. Sometimes we feel very passionately about something that's going on in another part of the world or something that's going on in our culture or something that happened at school, something like that. And we make these decisions. We understand it. God would say, wait a minute. Before you act on how you feel, test. Back to the woman in my brother's church. She didn't do anything wrong. But she couldn't see that her kids were going to go without Christmas. And she couldn't see that that would hurt them. And she was so wrapped up she couldn't even see that they were going to go hungry during the cold of Christmas season. Couldn't see that. So it took a couple of gracious and loving women to go home and talk to her and speak to her about this and remind her of her responsibilities to take care of her kids. And, and she said, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. See, she hadn't thought about it. So she had to go back and, and she realized she had made a mistake and gone too far and, and had missed something. She got all wrapped up in this situation and she changed her mind. And like I said, everything worked out. No one was critical of the woman. And it ended up being a good experience. She remained in the church. 
continued to give faithfully and all those kinds of things. And it was a, church, a chance for the church to get involved and help somebody. It was a teaching moment for everybody. And it was a ministry moment for people in that church. They helped somebody who had made a mistake. God worked. So what we have to do, whenever you feel like it's time for you to do something or say something, make sure that Scripture will support you. Now sometimes you're going to say, well, wait a minute. I don't know what the Bible says. Okay, then stop. If you don't know what the Bible says about something, call me. Call your preacher. You'll get a hold of Rose. She may have the answer for you. She's as smart as I am, and I know that. And call somebody. Call your, call your teacher. Call Terry. He'll be glad to talk to you. Call Maxine. And if you need some help, talk to these people. And we, as a body, will help you know what scriptures teach. It may be that what you're wanting to do is exactly what God wants. It may be that you've misconstrued or missed something that the Bible has taught. Make sure, before you act, that it's biblically sound. The Bible will never mislead you. God will never take a scripture and twist you around and yank you and manipulate you. That's not the way God works. Now, that's not to say that preachers won't do that with you when they read Scripture. I can only tell you, do your due diligence, read Scripture, find out what the Bible teaches. Find out what the Bible teaches about what you should be doing. Find out what the Bible teaches about maybe how you should be thinking about people and even feeling. And again, the Bible has a lot to teach about personal responsibility and controlling the way you think and act. One of the other thing here is exercise self-control in all areas of life. Self-control is very similar to this idea. It's simply putting the brakes on your feelings for a time. So many times I've seen people, and you have done this, and so have I, where we've done things and later we think, man, I wish I'd have thought this through. And that is exactly what we're talking about. This is personal responsibility. One of the hallmarks of a strong Christian faith is someone who is responsible for their own life. They don't blame anything on anybody else. They don't blame it on mama. They don't blame it on their spouse. They don't blame it on their kids or whatever. Their choice is their choice and they own it. And it's hard. And it's not very much fun. It's, it's easier to blame our mistakes on somebody else. What we have to learn to do is take responsibility for ourselves and exercise some self-control. When scriptures become a driving force, when our faith in Jesus becomes a driving force, then we can begin to live that life that God wants to live. And then we find out that God does call us to live a sacrificial life. And he does call us to live a life that is reasonable and practical and positive. And we can get that up on screen if we can. He calls us to live our faith in a way that is practical and positive. One of my professors years ago told this story, and I told you I've gone to, I went to school with 650 preachers, and this is what a crazy group of kids we were. And he was talking to a group of kids who were sold out for Jesus. I mean, we would have jumped off a cliff for Jesus that year. I mean, that's just who we were. You know, we had just gotten, some of us had just gotten saved. We felt the calling to ministry. We were there school away from mommy and daddy and all those kinds of things and we were on fire for Jesus and we would have done literally anything and he said be careful he told the story of a man one of his students years previous 
good guy. Came on fire for Jesus, just wanted to be a good preacher. And he was smart and very book-oriented. He studied scripture, made good grades, all those kinds of things. And he became one of those extreme students that did nothing other than quote scripture all the time. And he memorized a lot of scripture, quoted scripture, argued with everybody about him, you know the type. And everything he said was exactly according to the Bible. He went on and pastored churches and struggled for years. He said, the and the professor said this, that he had become so heavenly minded that he was of no earthly good. Because he couldn't relate to anybody. He could only talk about Bible. He could only, even in social situations, he could only talk about what the Lord had told him or what God wanted him to do or what he was supposed to tell other people. And that's the only thing he could talk about. And he was totally impractical in all situations. In a social situation, you would find him preaching to somebody in a corner. And of course, you know what that does. That means let's avoid this guy. And that was what was happening. And he went from church to church alienating people because he could only talk about religious stuffs. He said, don't become so earth, heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. So he was teaching us that it's good to be devoted to Jesus. It's good to study scripture. It's good to talk about God. But you have to learn to balance that with just being a normal human being. And he said to us, most of the people in your church are going to be normal human beings. And I've met some that are normal and some not so normal and so have you. But the idea is that most people don't want to talk about Jesus all the time. They want to talk about cars or hunting or clothes or food or barbecue or whatever. And what you have to do as pastor, as Christian, is learn to talk to people about what's going on in their lives. And, and it took me quite a while to figure this out. If I wanted to minister to this fellow, I couldn't just talk to him about Jesus. I had to learn to let him talk about the things that were interested in his life. And maybe we could share some stories and do some things together. And in the course of a relationship, I could tell him the things that he needed to hear about Jesus. Preachers have to learn that. And, and so must we. Not only in the way we talk to others, but in the way we relate to other people. Jesus understood this. He understood that sometimes religious people really weren't much count for anybody else. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Let me summarize it. A guy was walking down the road and he got beat up. I'm going to put it in modern language, right? So he got beat up and robbed and left for dead. Preacher came along and he saw him and he assessed the situation really quickly and thought, I got to go to church. I got a meeting to go to. And so he crossed the street and left the guy. Later on, another preacher came by. Same situation. He had another meeting to go to. He had to preach Jesus and tell people about Jesus and all those kinds of things. And he knew if he got involved in this guy on the road, it was going to take some time and he wouldn't be able to make the meeting, etc. So he left him on the road too. Finally, some guy who wasn't even Christian came by. He wasn't going to church. He never did. But he saw this guy in the street, bent over and helped him, gave him a drink, took him to a motel and paid for a few days lodging and food and came back and checked on him later. Jesus asked, so which one was the guy's neighbor? Well, the obvious answer, well, the guy who helped him. And they had this discussion. You have to imagine this discussion with Jesus. Of course, he used the word Samaritan and Samaritan was essentially a non-believer in the minds of Jews. 
So he's saying, listen, what you have to understand, the fact that you're a preacher and you know all about Jesus and you quote scripture doesn't mean you're necessarily doing ministry. You can become so involved in Christian stuffs that you're no good to anybody. So Jesus understood the type. They lacked balance. Jesus lived a balanced life. So on screen, we'll go through some of these things pretty quickly. Jesus is the example. Paul the apostle is not your example. James is not your example. The prophet Elijah is not your example. Jesus is your example, okay? So let's just look at some of the things Jesus did. He stood against sin, but he was kind. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Sure you do. She was caught in the act, and in that culture, it was acceptable and it was law that when you caught a couple in the act of adultery, you killed them by stoning. And it was a, a crude, barbaric way, but that was justice 2,000 years ago. So they brought the woman. They didn't follow the law quite as much. Didn't care about the man. He was somebody they liked, actually. And they were going to kill her. And everybody knew it. And it was a big deal. They came and got Jesus. She was guilty, no doubt. She deserved to die. You remember what he did. He wrote in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. And then he said, okay, those of you that are without sin, you start. And they all dropped their eyes and kicked their feet in the dirt. And no one was willing to throw the first stone because everybody there was guilty of something. And they knew that. And one by one, it didn't take long with the crowd thinned out. Just Jesus was left with the woman. And he asked her, well, who's condemning you? She goes, well, I guess nobody. And Jesus said, me neither. Why don't you go on and sin no more? So Jesus confronted her in her sin and he let her go. That's balance. The reason that's balanced is because Jesus could have killed her. He would have been justified. That's an extreme. But in that instance, instead of following the letter of the law, Jesus knew grace was called for. See, that's balance. When you follow the rules, but sometimes grace is more important. Or grace supersedes a teaching of the law. Jesus did that. Another time, Jesus got together. And he ate with tax gatherers and sinners. And tax gatherers were... Uh, they're a rangy bunch. Everybody hated them for all the obvious reasons. They were traitors against their people, etc., etc. And Jesus ate with them. Good Jews did not. Ever. They were hated. One of the condemnations one day, Jesus was eating, and as the passage says, several tax gatherers and sinners... It was just a rowdy, rangy crowd. And the religious types never met with those people because they were sinners. You don't want to taint your occupation. You don't want to keep your reputation clean and all those things, right? They might drag you down. Jesus ate with them anyway. You see, that's balance. He knew the law. He knew the truth that sometimes if you spend too much time with the wrong kind of people, they will drag you down. He knew that. But he also knew that those people that will drag you down needed something 
that they weren't getting. They needed someone to love them. They needed a chance to hear that God loved them and that there was grace for them. So God took, through his son Jesus, a situation where the law was clear and injected a dose of grace that no one had anticipated. One other time, stay loyal to your family. In Jesus' childhood, you remember the story, they took him to the temple, he was 12, and he just kind of did what little kids do. He took off. They looked for him. They finally found him. He was lost, they thought. After everybody left town, two days later, they realized Jesus was gone. This was a big caravan of people. They went back to town and they found him arguing with preachers in the temple. You remember. And Jesus answered his mom, listen, why, why would I be here? This is about my father's business. And what happened after that? Anybody remember? Jesus went back home with his mom and daddy. And until he was an adult, lived under their subjection. He submitted to family. Now Jesus could have shunned his parents and said, I know what, you need, what I need to be doing and you don't understand. And he could have said all those things, like teenagers often do. We've all been teenagers. We remember we hear kids say dumb things like that today. We hear some teachers, some leaders in our culture say, parents don't know what their kids need. And the scriptures teach us, you need to work with your family as much as you can. Yes, there are parents who aren't good parents. That's right. And yes, some kids do need to be rescued from them. That's true. But most of the time, the right thing to do is for families to try to stay together, for everybody to learn, and everybody to grow together. That's the right thing. God gave us families, and you know this, families are those relationships that last forever. I was thinking about this this morning. I got up real early, and I was thinking about my relationship in my life, and other than my wife that I've known forever, I thought of all my good friends, you know, I haven't seen them in decades. The guys I grew up with, that I essentially lived with till I was out of high school and then college, I just knew I would be friends with them all my life. I haven't seen them in 20, 30, 40 years. You know what? They don't miss me, and I don't miss them. It's like, you know, it's like life is. But family... My wife, my kids, never let them go. There is a sense of value to those relationships that is God-instilled. So Jesus taught us there that even though God was calling him and he had commitments and he had things he needed to do and he needed to get with it, right then, the thing that God wanted him to do was stay with his family. So we need to hear that too. Wish I could say that there's one rule, but I can't give you one rule that's going to guide you. Ask God for leadership. Pray about what God wants you to do. Test what you want to do against Scripture. And apply a heavy dose of grace and love to every situation. And learn to live a life of, of balance. Not an extreme life that's crazy, but a life of balance that God can bless. 
on screen as a final idea. The life of faith is best lived as it is directed by biblical knowledge and tempered by God's love and grace. There's nothing exciting about that message. But it is a message that can guide you in life and keep you from craziness and help you to avoid excesses and making decisions that will hurt you and those you love forever. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation this morning. Let me challenge you to live that life of extreme devotion to Jesus. Follow him in faith. Do the things that God wants you to do. And test that sense of leadership against biblical teachings. And always apply grace and love to every situation. You can't go wrong. Would you stand with me please as Nate leads us. sing together. Would you come and lead us in a closing prayer? Thanks for helping. <laughs> Will you pray with me, please? We've heard the words. We understand our responsibilities. Now, as we depart, help us to carry that and apply that in our daily lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.